Hi, my name is Kane. I'm the CTO at Twigger Foods. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Kane. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's Kane with an E, bro. Yep, yep, yep. Everyone tends to miss that out, but yeah, good you caught it. And that's obviously the E on the end. Yes, yes, E at the end, C-A-I-N-E. Okay, so you're the first Kane with an E I've ever met, which is good. But um, you're here because I rate Twigger as one of probably a handful of actual businesses. And I say that carefully. This is not a hot take. Uh, I'm not trying to cause offense, but I consider you guys a handful of the actual businesses that landed significant sums of venture capital in 2017. I say business because really a lot of the VC money chasing other ideas is is playing to potential. There's nothing wrong with that inherently, but I do have some problem with it. We'll talk about that a little bit. And so given that, tell me a little bit about the unique position Twiga's in as far as being a business before the money rolled in to take it to scale. Yeah, so Twiga was uh, founded in uh, late 2013. Call other startups, it went through a couple of iterations before it settled on its uh, current business model. And really the key thing for the founding team uh, was how do they build a business that's sustainable and solving a real need. So Twiga essentially is in three related but distinct spaces, agriculture, logistics, and technology. And I mean, you guys really started essentially selling bananas. Yes. So, so the logistics and agriculture part was what was really solved. The tech part came much, much later. And the idea was uh, what they were trying to solve was really simple. How do we move bananas from farmers to vendors in the most efficient and profitable manner? The thing about the food value chain in Kenya and, and in Africa really is there are a lot of players between um, the, the farmers and the vendors who eventually sell these products to you and I. So what you find is there's a lot of inefficiency. Everyone there wants to take their profit. So by the time it reaches a vendor, there's a lot of inefficiency that's gone into the final price, which you and I have to pay for uh, when we're purchasing fresh fruits and vegetables. So Trigo is really thinking around how do we make this process more efficient? How do we make the farmer get the best deal, the vendor pays the lowest price, while we benefit as a business as well? Once that was cracked, now the rest is really about how do we scale this business and make it reach as many vendors as possible and as many farmers as possible. So in terms of scale, a fairly small business, but in terms of business fundamentals, a really profitable business. Yeah, so the thing about food is it's probably the last thing someone will get off their budget even when you're going through hard times. So the thing is, I as a business need to internalize all the risks I have by being able to offer vendors a lower price and giving farmers a higher price. That way, I've... Uh, I'm not really dealing with external factors because you're always a preferred choice for both ends of the market. Now, it's really around how do I innovate, how do I organize myself, how do I execute operationally to make sure I'm always in that space where I'm the preferred supplier of these products. So when you when you now translate that to, um, one, I have the business fundamentals, I've gotten my unit economics sorted out, how do I make this business sustainable? That's when you really start getting uh, external interest and, and having now the outside money coming in. But this was all done based off uh, funding from the founders who figured out who, who cracked that nut around how do I build this business to scale and to be sustainable. And then once I was figured out, the rest now was, well, I wouldn't call it straightforward. Fundraising is never a straightforward process, but at least you've given uh, investors uh, something to kind of value and, and base their investment on. And just remind us how much investment you guys took on last year and who from? So last year we managed to close $10.3 million, a mixture of debt and equity. The lead investor was Zwamda, uh, but there was participating investment from the seed round investors. And these were Omedia, DOB, and the angel investors who, who had stayed with the business from the beginning. And so how much uh, runway does that buy you guys? 
Oh, so it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, you'll always have a best case, a normal case, and a base case. Um, and the idea is to enable us to uh, scale our operations. Because at this point, it's not really about business fundamentals. We're not trying to figure out how to make a profit. That's already been figured out. So it's more around how do I diversify the products I sell? How do I reach as many vendors as possible in Nairobi? Because for us, really, it's about aggregating all this demand and then pushing it down to farmers and being able to be the... It's, it's almost a flywheel effect. The more farmers you have, the more vendors you have, the more you become the preferred um, partner of choice for both ends of the market. And in, and in Africa, typically, you don't gain efficiencies as you grow often because of like the infrastructural challenges. Things tend to become more costly and actually more complex, and you, you actually need to grow your team significantly relative to other markets, I imagine. Yes, but the other point that's important here is once you've figured out how to grow a sustainable business, the hard part, the rest becomes easy. Because if you think about the logistics that you need to move produce end-to-end and have that figured out and working well, as I add more products or diversify to more routes, that now becomes more around how do I scale rather than how do I crack the nut in terms of building a sustainable operation. So in some ways, the hardest part has been figured out. But yeah, you're right. There's also the friction, if you may call it, in terms of scaling and rolling out to new product areas. And I noticed you didn't answer my question. I'm guessing maybe 18 months on that money. The idea is to try scale to... So right now we supply to 3,500 vendors. The idea is to get to 15,000 vendors who we supply to. Is it still within Kenya, Nairobi specifically? It's actually within Nairobi because we've only really scratched the surface with Nairobi. The Nairobi market itself has over 100,000 small-scale vendors. So if you think about how far or what the demand, AMED demand is, we'll be Nairobi-focused for a while. So what's interesting about you is that you're not one of the founding members, or well, you're not one of the co-founders, but you are part of the founding team probably from the point when you guys by Silicon Valley standards when Twigger started to become a true startup or was pursuing startup-esque you know growth in that in that sense right so you obviously brought on a CTO to leverage tech to enable that growth talk us through what that looked like and what your brief was I mean talk us through like the conversations you had with the founders and bring you onto the team and, and what they hoped you would bring and and then consequently what you're working on now so when I first met with the founders, I think one of the uh, initial discussions was really focusing around how technology can help the business because they knew technology was going to be a key piece in their growth strategy. So the discussions really centered around how do we leverage technology to give us more efficiency, to help us understand uh, how business is running, give us real-time insights, um, also a part around analytics, how do we leverage the data to even add more value. So those are the initial discussions we had. Uh, and actually when I joined... We were not really using technology to uh, a large extent. As I mentioned, um, the initial business case was how do we sell produce profitably? And so all this was done off the back of uh, manual systems, Excel spreadsheets. But from a technology perspective, that gave us uh, a good base to, which to understand how to build tech. Because we had all this data that was coming in. So it was just now a function of automating, scaling it, and uh, aligning with the business. Um, yeah, so... Long story short, we've managed to digitize our whole value chain. So the platform we've built uh, is able to track information all the way from sourcing. So this goes all the way down to registering farmers, uh, recording the harvests, paying them all through the value chain, and then all through to distribution and sales. So as a business, we're able to get real-time visibility, uh, make decisions on the fly. The reason this is important is because we deal with uh, perishable goods. Waiting till end of the day sometimes is too late. So I need to see what's happening uh, in real time to be able to intervene if necessary and, and make the right uh, business decision. So it's really given us that efficiency in terms of helping us understand what's happening on the ground. Um, given we're a very distributed business, we're sourcing in four or five different areas of Kenya. We have 50 distribution routes. We need to see how the business is performing so we can act on this information in, a, in an actionable manner. 
have you built your own IP? Are you using third-party stuff? How are you executing on that? So the tech team is actually in-house. Everything has been built from the ground up. So the IP uh, is internal. And is it proprietary or what are you built on? Um, so I wouldn't call it proprietary in the sense that anyone can build what we're building. But in terms of how it leverages on how the business runs to give us efficiency, that's really where the core value is um, in terms of the tech platform. So it's not something you can easily translate to an outside business and have it work for them. It's really specced out for how Trigger runs uh, as a business. And that's really how we feel we get the most efficiency and most value from technology. There are some external systems. Of course, if something's already there, don't go and rebuild it. That's not the best use of engineering resources. But to a large extent, we try first in source build everything in house and only think of external systems should there be a business case for one you know let's talk now generally about the the investment landscape um, i worry that we're not encouraging the formation you know the building of sound businesses there seems to be this obsession with trying to chase outlier success what's your sense of everything i've said yeah it's uh, just actually alluding to what i touched on uh, during the panel session for businesses to really scale and be efficient that really has to be on the back of having solid fundamentals so what are you doing the service or the business or the product you're providing can you buy and sell it profitably have you figured out what the external risks are because africa as a continent has things like elections you do have things like um, change in regulation change in policy and this happened on a whim are you set up to withstand those shocks Um, now that said the point at which you'd say I'm happy, I'm happy to scale and look for outside investment should be after figuring out, look, I'm selling A or I'm doing um, this specific activity. I need to show I can do it profitably at, at, a, at a small scale. Even without technology, that's even better because you're not really dependent on tech to build a successful business. Once that's there, once that's established, it's now easy to go and say, look, I'll figure this out. Help me scale. Because what the investor is looking at, have you taken the risk of figuring out how do I make what I'm trying to do work well and, and work for my business case? Uh, a lot of times you see people are approaching it the other way around where they have this fancy technology and they're now trying to make a business case. Uh, it's basically a, a solution looking for a problem rather than solving a problem and then trying to scale the solution. So now speak to professionals listening to you who are going, oh, I wonder what his background is. I wish I'd applied for his gig. Speak to diasporans who are thinking of bringing their skills back home and locals as well, who might be currently embedded perhaps in enterprise employment situations and have been thinking about like joining the emerging tech scene, a startup or um, or, or founding a business of their own. What's your background? Um, What brings you to the spot? And, And what is it about, you know, the opportunity at Twigger? That, that made it, you know, a, a sensible proposition perhaps over working at IBM, for example? <laughs> Good question. So actually, I was, uh, I was living abroad before coming back to Kenya. See, I didn't even know that. <laughs> yeah, and for me, it was really around taking uh, what I thought was a smart risk. Where were you staying? So I was in Australia. So I, I lived in Japan and Australia. I was studying and working in Australia. And actually, the point at which I was com- uh, when I was coming back, I was actually working for a bank. So one could theoretically say I had a stable good job that had good career prospects but I felt if I don't take that risk and come back to Kenya and try um, engage myself in the ecosystem I, I didn't want to come and regret it five ten years down the line and for me really it was around how can I transfer the skills I've learned how can I apply it to business and that's really the time M-Pesa was taking off because I came back at the end of 2010 M-Pesa was I think three years old and rest reading researching getting to know the impact it's having I was in my mind I was very clear I was like if I, if I don't come in, or if I miss this boat, I may, I may regret it. 
So to anyone looking to come back to Africa, it's about taking a smart risk. It's about saying, where can I apply my skills? And of course, nothing is going to fall on your plate. You're not going to come and kick it off from day one. So you also have to come with the understanding that it may take me three, six, nine months, even 12 months to kind of get something going. So always always plan for that as well. Uh, it's also important not to come back with unrealistic uh, expectations. And so I'd like you to sort of debunk the mysteries of life after investment or after closing a, a massive round what would you say and suppose you weren't there for the whole journey prior to like the biggest sort of tranche of investment that to the got but give me a sense of what is over hyped about landing investment what are some of the misconceptions about the before and after um, a lot is said you know at conferences like this about you know how hard it is and how to get it and uh, you know and i I'm actually more interested in sort of what was life like the week before and the months after. You'd be surprised. Um, I mean, nothing much changes other than a party, of course, <laughs> to celebrate a closing of a round. But generally speaking, closing a round is not success in itself. It's an opportunity for success. And, and the reason I say that is when you get in funding, uh, you now have a lot more stakeholders who you have to be accountable and responsible to. Of course, you have the people who brought in the money. Part of the reason for bringing funding, of course, is to scale the business. So you have more employees coming. So you have, um, from that perspective, you're also taking care of many people's payroll. For example, when I joined Twigger, we were only, I think, 40 or 50 employees. We're now approaching 250. And so all these people who've come in, um, of course, they've come for a job. But as a business, you have to make sure you're, um, you're giving them a sustainable future in the sense that you're building a, a sustainable business such that even if the new round of funding comes, the company continues scaling. You don't want to go through this hyper phase where you, you have money, you go through a, a big recruiting phase, you do all these investments, and then there's, I mean, there's nothing to back up a subsequent investment or you're not thinking about what, are, what is the next milestone. So following a successful close, it's always thinking about what's next, what are the key touch points and proof points I need to achieve as a business to attract follow-on funding or if you're not looking for more funding, to build a fully sustainable business moving forward. To the point you're making about having all these stakeholders to manage, I'm sure you guys look at well now, perhaps in retrospect, might look at what Shore Remit has done in successfully you know, raising via an ICO and I mean, given the strong fundamentals you guys have, the reputation for being, you know, excellent executors and, you know, just the sound business, I imagine you look at that and go, hmm, that could have been us. You know, we, we didn't need all these other, these other investors. We could have raised on, on, you know, on our own merit and, and harnessed this whole crypto phase. Yeah, so the thing about all these, all these new fads and new uh, technologies being... Let's call it a fad. <laughs> well, guys just throw shade at the thing, bruh. <laughs> no, well, I call it a fad because in relation to how it helps an African business scale, it's not really something that should be on the radar. I know there's hype about blockchain and Bitcoin, and not that they're bad things, but when you think of the fundamentals a business in Africa needs to scale, that's really should not be your primary concern. We always get asked questions around blockchain and Bitcoin and whether we're going to use it, but in our business, specifically where we're selling food, these are things that really don't apply. I suppose I was talking about actually fundraising via the creation of a coin offering. No, not really. I don't think it's on our radar. There's always risk to it. It's always best to have hard cash. Uh, I think the founding team has never been interested in going that direction. So. Well, to be fair, I mean, again, it's one of those situations where African business, obviously founded by non-Africans um, embedded in the ecosystem, yeah. and I suppose being connected to the right sources of funding has never been a problem for this business. 
No, it hasn't. But the thing to also note is uh, what kind of risk are you bringing by investing in these alternative currencies? Um, everyone talks about the upside of Bitcoin and uh, all these digital currencies, but there's also a downside. Rana is just an asset, just a speculative asset. I, I guess the question is a startup. Do I want to bring in that uncertainty on top of trying to grow my business? Um, and where does that leave me? So my personal view on this is right now you don't want to go that route as a fundraising strategy until you're at a point where you're not thinking about fundraising or not thinking about key metrics because that's just another headache to deal with in terms of the milestones you're trying to achieve as a business. In fairness to Shore Remit as well, is that specific solution, which was two birds hit with one stone, I mean, raising funds they needed, but also creating a sort of voucher ecosystem. I mean, quite a novel idea that came straight out of an organic need that arose from their specific business. To your point, you guys are no need to, one, find alternative funding routes because I'm sure people are beating down the door to be involved at this point. And also the integrity of the brand you're building and the cash flows you're generating and the profitability, from what I understand, quite significant. And so, yeah, I, I, I totally take your point. Is my thinking in terms of what you mean sound? Yeah, so I think it's important as a, as a startup, as a growing company, to not focus on uh, external, let, let me call it distractions, just understand what your key core metrics are and have laser focus on them. So for us, we know what we need to do to achieve uh, success as a business. And so all these alternative ideas, as much as some of them may be good, it's always a question of will it distract you from what I'm trying to achieve? Uh, and, and it's something that was alluded to on the panel. Think of the right partnerships. Think of people who align with your strategy. Something like this is something that can easily take you off course and actually make it less than positive event, given that's not what your original focus was on. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much for speaking to us, man. Thanks for having me. It was, was great chatting.